Good morning. What a delight it is for me to be here at Morberly, both for the Homefront Conference and this morning here on Sunday morning. I want to thank Pastor Andrew and uh, the leaders of Morberly for the opportunity to be here for the conference and to minister God's word to you all this morning. There is a handout that's been floating around, and maybe you got it as, we, as you came in. Please uh, pull that out. All the verses that I'll be dealing with are found there, along with a skimpy outline if you're so inclined to fill in those things, and there may be a few notes there as well that I'll call your attention to. And there will be a test at the end. After all, I'm a professor, so <laughs> I hate tests, but I love giving them. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Our Father, for your ineffable, magnificent word, we give thanks for choosing to speak to us, we give thanks. For your Son, who is the Word incarnate, we give thanks. For your Holy Spirit, who inscripturated these words, we give thanks. And this morning, may that same Holy Spirit illuminate our hearts and minds to understand and our bodies and our wills to obey. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Fred and Edna went to the state fair every year. Every year, Edna would say, Fred, I'd like to ride in that there airplane, one of those open canopy aircraft. And every year, Fred would say, I know, Edna, but that airplane ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. One year, Fred and Edna went to the fair, and Edna said again, Fred, I'm 71 years old. If I don't ride that airplane this year, I may never get another chance. Fred replied, Edna. That airplane ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. The pilot overheard them and said, folks, I'll make you a deal. I'll take you both up for a ride. If you can stay quiet for the entire ride and not say a single word, it's free. But if you say one word, it's $10. Fred and Edna agreed, and up they went, and the pilot did all kinds of twists and turns and rolls and dives and loop-de-loops. Not a word was heard. He did all of his tricks again, but still, there was no word from the couple. Finally, they landed, and the pilot yelled out, by golly, I did everything I could think of to get you to yell out, but you did not. And Edna replied, well, I was going to say something when Fred fell out. <laughs> but $10 is $10. $10, husband. Which should I be loyal to? $10, husband. Where are my priorities? What is to be my ultimate loyalty? 
You know, we Christians are being asked that same question. To whom or to what is our ultimate loyalty? Somebody? Some worldly good? Some political party? Some ideology? What's my ultimate loyalty to be? Where does our ultimate loyalty lie? As Christians attending church on Sunday morning, you already know the answer, but let's look at the answer from a different point of view, from the point of view of Psalm 2, the second psalm of the hymn book in the Bible. It follows, obviously, the first psalm that tells us what a righteous person does. And now here's the second psalm that tells us to whom the righteous person should be loyal. So, our ultimate loyalty from Psalm 2. And you'll notice instantly, if you're looking at the handout, that our psalm is divided into four sections with each section having three verses, very symmetrically arranged. So, here we go. Let's start at Psalm 2, 1 and 2. Why do they agitate the nations and the peoples? Why do they conspire in vain? They take their stand, the kings of the earth. And rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed. By the way, Yahweh, simply written often in our English translations as Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is the name that God himself revealed to his people. Yahweh is not God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit separately. Yahweh is the Trinitarian God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. It's the personal name of our personal God, our God. And against him here in Psalm 2, 1 and 2, there appears to be a widespread rebellion. So if you're writing things down, number one there, the word that starts with R is rebellion. Rebellion. Who is rebelling and who is being disloyal? I want you to catch the multitude of synonyms used for these wicked rebels. In 2.1, you have nations and peoples, and in 2.2, you have kings and rulers. And if you actually jump down to verse 10, you also have judges implicated in this conspiracy. All are against God. The insurrection is global, involving all who are in power and authority. This is a rebellion against God's power and authority. This is disloyalty to the ultimate power and authority in the universe. And what do these rebels say? Verse 3, let us tear away their fetters and let us throw off from us their ropes. These revolutionaries and mutineers refuse to be under the control of any superior power. They refuse to accept the reign or throne of God over the universe. They refuse to walk righteously and to do righteousness. They are loyal only to themselves and to their desires. They are anti-God. God? Who cares? Stephen Hawking, the famous theoretical physicist at Cambridge University, once said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven, there is no afterlife for broken down computers. That's a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. God? What God? There is no one to be loyal to except yourself. Or Richard Dawkins, the evolutionary biologist and atheist. 
The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in fiction. Jealous and proud of it. Petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. God? Loyal to this kind of God? While not as radical, Utterances that decry the role of God and the reign of God are also made by those in power, even in democratic countries such as ours, with a historic Christian tradition. President George W. Bush said on Ellis Island one year, the ideals of America are the hope of mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Really, that's from John's gospel referring to Jesus Christ. That's now become America. And since I'm an equal opportunity political critic, I have to quote President Barack Obama now, who once said in 2008, this country is the last great hope of the planet. Really, America, last great hope, not God. That's neither good for America nor for God. So whether it be Hawking or Dawkins, or nations and peoples and kings and rulers or presidents, they all seem to espouse and unfortunately we seem to tacitly endorse a dangerous theology of disloyalty to the ruler of the universe who deserves ultimate loyalty. Verse 2, they take their stand, the kings of the earth. The rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed. And just like that, a new character is introduced into this drama, the anointed. He's the representative of God, his deputy. I want us to notice that those disloyal rebels are both against Yahweh and against his anointed. The same preposition against is used both for Yahweh and for the anointed. What I want to point out thereby is that Yahweh and the anointed, whoever he is, are being closely linked as being on one side with the rest of the powers of the world pitted against them. And remember in 2.3, the wicked said, let us tear away their plural fetters. Let us throw off from us their plural ropes. Who's there? Plural. Well, it has to be Yahweh plus his anointed, his representative, his deputy. In other words, there is clearly some close connection, even identification of these two parties, Yahweh and his anointed. They get the same prepositions, they get the same pronouns. Hmm, are they related? But we can't answer that now. Let's go on. So what does God think about all this disloyalty, this rebellion, this revolt, this mutiny, this tumult? Verse 4, he who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord mocks them. So once again, number two in the handout, the R word is reaction. Reaction, God's reaction. God's reaction is laughter. I want you to notice this. Where is he laughing from? Verse 4, in the heavens. 
Where are those insurgents and terrorists and anarchists? Verse 2, kings of the earth. The one in the heavens laughs at those puny despots of the earth. Hey, y'all down there, little fleas, little ants. Ha, 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 ha. Those nations and peoples and kings and rulers and judges dare pit themselves against God? Earthly tyrants against a heavenly Lord? We can't believe it. The psalmist can't believe it. Even God cannot believe it. He goes in verse 4, ha, 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 ha. Because, that's correct, yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> because, you see, there can be only one king. Only one. And he deserves ultimate loyalty. Only this king, the only king. No one else to be loyal to, no one else to serve. Some time ago, Burger King was set to open its first location in Belgium, and they launched an online campaign that asked users, who is the king? Burger King wanted folks to vote online for whom they wanted to be a king, a cartoonized version of the real Belgian king, King Philippe, or a burger king. And the website read, two kings, one crown, who shall reign? Needless to say, this quasi-election caught the attention of the Belgian royal family and through a spokesperson, the royals expressed their strong disapproval. But the Belgian rulers did agree with the Burger King on this. There can be only one king. Two kings, one crown. Who shall reign? Those rulers in Psalm 2 and the world today and anyone else who thinks they can take away God's crown and wear it themselves, loyal to themselves and not to God, those who think that, whether they be principalities and powers or ordinary people like you and me, they and we have another think coming. God's response to such people is, ha, 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 ha. But you know what? God is not going to laugh long. Verse 5. Then he will speak to them in his anger and in his fury terrify them. This is no laughing matter anymore. This is serious. God is going to take terrifying action against those disloyal to him, the creator, the Lord of all things, seen and unseen, the king of the universe. You noticed earlier that there were four sets of agitators in 2, 1, and 2. Nations, peoples, kings, rulers. Now look at God's reaction. That too is fourfold. In verse 4, he laughs, he mocks. Verse 5, he speaks in anger and he terrifies in his fury. Derision, scorn, anger, fury at those nations, peoples, kings, and rulers. Tit for tat. Are those four groups in trouble or what? And then God speaks again in verse 6, but I myself have installed my king upon Zion, 
my holy mountain. All those rebellious and disloyal rulers are going to be deposed by God's king. And this must be the same person we saw earlier, God's anointed, now called God's king. And this representative of God, this anointed, this king, is being enthroned in Zion, in Jerusalem, on the holy mountain, in the temple. In the temple. Wow, who is this? Doesn't sound like a human regent at all. And see how God is emphatically appointing the king. Look at verse 6. I myself. God is personally appointing this person as king. I myself. God is taking decisive action, categorical action, final action. The disloyal ones are being overthrown and replaced in response to those nations, kings, powers, and rulers creating a ruckus, causing disorder and chaos and mayhem. This is what God's going to do once and for all. God himself actively, personally, directly is going to install his king on his holy mountain, on his throne. God's king versus all those other puny kings. But who is this person, this divine representative, this divine deputy, earlier called anointed and now called the king? That's a good question, but we don't have time now. We're going to move on. And suddenly, in the next section of the psalm, there's a shift of speaker. Now it's this anointed king himself who takes the microphone and begins to speak. And so that brings us, brings us to number three. The word is response of God's representative and deputy. And look at verse 7. I, this is God's representative, the anointed king speaking, I shall tell of the decree of Yahweh, likely the order of appointment for this installed king. And in 2, 7, 8, and 9, this king really has nothing to say for himself except to quote Yahweh. This person's portfolio is simply to do the will of the one who installed him. This representative, this deputy's pleasure is to do Yahweh's pleasure. And I want us to remember that. This representative's loyalty is to Yahweh, totally, completely, entirely loyal to Yahweh. His sole and exclusive allegiance, his ultimate loyalty is to God. Hold that thought, will you? Now let's look at what the representative's deputy says. Verse 7, he, Yahweh, said to me, this anointed king representative, you are my son. And if you are looking in the handout, you'll notice that the word son in the he is the Hebrew word ben. That'll be important in a moment. Today, I myself have begotten you. Again, the emphatic, I myself. Wait, what? First, this individual was God's anointed. Then he was God's king. And now he's God's son. And what of the son? Verse 8, ask of me, Yahweh tells the son, and I will give you the nations as your, the son's, inheritance, and as your possession, the ends of the earth. Remember where those rebels were coming from? From the earth. But now, Yahweh appoints his son to rule over. No, no, not rule. Possess the ends of the earth. Every dominion of those disloyal ones is overtaken and taken over. 
The ends of the earth are now going to be this anointed king, son's inheritance and possession from west to east, from north to south, in all continents, across all seas, over all peoples, rebels and rowdies, all disloyal ones, all, all are going to be under this one, this anointed king, son. The same dodgy characters who began a disloyal revolt in verse 1 nations, the same rambunctious and recalcitrant villains, again nations in verse 8, will become the inheritance and possession of Yahweh's anointed king son. Wow! Who is this person, this anointed king son? This is certainly no human king. Because in the history of Israel, there has never been a time when its borders were as widespread as the psalm imagines, ends of the earth. So this cannot be a human king, and this cannot be talking of times until now. This must be a divine person, God's anointed, God's king, God's son, someone intimately related to Yahweh. And this must be what's going to happen in the future. In retrospect, we who live in the New Testament age know that this anointed king, son, is none other than Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, fully man, fully God, part of the Trinitarian Godhead, part of Yahweh. This is the one who died and was resurrected, redeeming us from sin. And guess what? This is the one who is coming again in his second advent. And this time, as our psalm declares, this time he comes to reign as king over the ends of the earth. Of course, the Old Testament saints and David who wrote the psalm would probably have had only a very vague idea of this person's identity, but they'd have figured out that this is somebody special, God's representative, and in some form or fashion, this person was closely and intimately identified with Yahweh. And catch this, verse 2, the word anointed is the Hebrew Mashiach, which is in English, Messiah. What is this Mashiach, king, son, going to do? Verse 9. You, this is Yahweh speaking to the Messiah, king, son, you will break them, the disloyal, the rebels, with a rod of iron. Like a vessel of a potter, you will shatter them. Those disloyal nations, kings, peoples, and rulers of the earth don't stand a chance against this anointed king's son. Rod of iron, broken, shattered, subdued, overawed, overcome. These kings and rulers loyal only to themselves and to their puny enterprises think they are creating something grand and long-lasting. And God goes, ha, 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 ha. Because what they are doing is only building sandcastles on the beach that will be annihilated in an instant by the wave of God's fury. And so what does God recommend to those rebels? Number four in the handout, recommendation. Recommendation. And the recommendation is found in our last section of the psalm, verses 10, 11, and 12. So now, kings, be sensible. Be warned, judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He not be angry and you perish 
with regard to the path, God's path that these people were not following. For his anger may soon blaze. In light of the sun's rod of iron, all unsubmissive, disloyal dissenters are warned to change their ways or else. Look at verse 12 again. Do homage to the son that he not be angry, and you perish with regard to the path, for his anger may soon blaze. Who's the one who's angry? It must be the son, right? But look back at verse 5. Then he, Yahweh, will speak to them in his anger. There in 5, it's Yahweh who is angry, and here in our last section, it's the son who is angry. So both Yahweh and the son are angry, once again identifying them together. No surprise to us who know that the Mashiach, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, part of the Trinity, part of Yahweh. Oh, and another intriguing thing now about Psalm 2, in each of these four sections of the Psalm, we see a label, a name for this divine representative. You probably already caught it. In verse 2, it's the anointed. In verse 6, he's called the king. In verse 7, he is the son. We saw that it was a Hebrew word, ben. But we have son again in verse 12. Ah, but this time son is not the Hebrew ben. It's the Aramaic bar. So thereby we have four different titles for this unique individual. A different one in each of the sections of Psalm 2. The anointed Mashiach chosen by God the king installed by God, the son, Hebrew Ben, will be the people of, will be the God of his people. And the son, Aramaic Bar, will be the God of all people, no matter what language they speak, what race or culture they are, what hemisphere they occupy, what millennium they live in. Those disloyal, rebellious ones are going to submit because the Mashiach Christ's sovereignty will be over everyone and everything in every age and in every space, even over those who vainly, disloyally attempt to reject God's reign. So while this recommendation in the last section is clearly for those disloyal, rebellious nations, peoples, kings, rulers, there is also a clear sense in which that recommendation is for us, God's people. You know why? Look at verse 9. You, that's the anointed king's son, shall, will break them, the disloyal ones, with a rod of iron like a vessel of a potter, you will shatter them. Now listen to Revelation 2, 26 and 27, which are words addressed by this Moshiach king's son, Jesus Christ, to us, his followers. Here's what Jesus says, Revelation 2, 26 and 27. The one who overcomes and the one who keeps my deeds until the end, i.e. all believers who have lived faithfully unto Christ, I will give to him authority over the nations. And now catch this. And he, this faithful believer, shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter are shattered. Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 2 and applying it to us, his followers. This is amazing. 
What God says the anointed king's son will do in Psalm 2, rule with a rod of iron and shatter enemies like pottery, is exactly what Jesus says his followers, you and I, will do when we, his people, reign with him. Wow. I had asked you to remember earlier that the son's exclusive and ultimate loyalty was to God. Well, if the ultimate loyalty of Christ who is going to reign and wield this rod of iron is exclusively to God, then if we want to reign with Christ and wield that same rod of iron with him, whom must we be ultimately loyal to? Just as Christ the reigning king is loyal to God and God alone, so also we who are going to reign with Christ must be loyal to God and God alone. Our loyalty is not to kings, rulers, judges. Nope. That only results in deprivation, defeat, distress, destruction. No, our final ultimate royalty is not towards any person, person, institution, political party, or ideology. No, our ultimate and final loyalty is to God and to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is soon coming to reign, and we with Him. If we are to rule with Christ, we too, like Christ, must be loyal to the royal. Loyal to the royal, loyal to God and to no one else, loyal to the royal. There are all kinds of voices today canvassing and demanding our loyalty. But there's only one person who deserves it, Jesus Christ, the only royal, and we need to be loyal to the royal. Bill Clem, Hall of Fame baseball umpire, holds the record of having worked 18 World Series games. His, his nickname was Old Arbitrator because he was known for being firm on the field with players and with his decisions. One time it was the bottom of the ninth inning. The winning run was on third base. The ball was hit and thrown home to get the guy before he could touch the home plate. That was a, it was a windy day that day, and as the man slid into home plate, dust flew everywhere. Both benches erupted on the field, declaring success. The home team said, he's safe, he's safe. The visiting team said, he's out, he's out. Pandemonium, because the game rode on the call. Bill Clem, and he was a big guy, took off his face, Mac, threw it on the ground, stomped on it and said, everybody shut up, because it ain't nothing until I call it. <laughs> 332 million voices clamoring in the USA, all making noise, Democrat noise, Republican noise, white noise, black noise, and noise of every other color. Rich noise, poor noise, all kinds of noise, all howling and screeching their own opinions, all demanding loyalty. 
but there's only one person's opinion that counts because it ain't nothing until God calls it. Only his voice matters and only one ruler deserves ultimate loyalty. And our call is to be loyal to him, loyal to the royal, loyal to the only royal, Jesus Christ. Married or single, rich or poor, Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. Our primary loyalty is not to any person, institution, party, or ideology. Our ultimate loyalty, our call is to be loyal to the only royal. What can we concretely do in response? I'd like to share a simple application that I have begun to employ as a result of Psalm 2. And perhaps we could all do it. At least once a day, at least once a day, when I pray, I address Jesus as King. Yeah, we use God and Father and Christ and Lord in our prayers to address persons of the Trinity, but at least once a day when we pray, let's use the term King, King Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. Once a day, when we pray, let's address Jesus as king. That's to remind ourselves that there is only one king. No matter what your party affiliation, no matter what your socioeconomic status, no matter what your race, tribe, tongue, nationality, gender, or marital status, for the child of God, there is only one king, King Jesus. And we are going to be loyal to the royal. One day this anointed, this king, this son, Mashiach, is coming to reign. And you may be asking, when is this going to happen? When is Christ coming to take over? Verse 12, for his anger may soon place. Soon has taken a pretty long time since Jesus was resurrected, 2,000 years, and I have no idea when soon will be fulfilled. The psalm does not tell us. But one thing I know, the last line of verse 12, blessed are all who seek refuge in him. One day Christ is coming and he will reign and we with him and he will put down every rebellion with his rod of iron and shatter the ungodly and the disloyal anti-God like earthenware pots. But until that time, during these days when we, the people of God, are a minority in a world temporarily ruled by the disloyal and the ungodly, those nations, peoples, kings, and rulers, all shrieking and screaming their opinions, we, the people of God, followers of Christ, future rulers with Christ, we are going to be loyal to the royal, seeking refuge in our King Jesus, and we will be blessed here and now. Blessed are all who seek refuge in him. God blesses all who seek his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the anointed Messiah, the son, King Jesus. So let's be loyal to the royal, and at least once a day, let's address Jesus as king, the only king, the only royal. Be loyal to the royal and be blessed. Let's pray.
King Jesus, we thank you that you came once to die for us and to rise again to redeem us with your precious blood and make us the children of Yahweh. But we thank you now in advance because you are going to come again. As we now live in these in-between times, King Jesus, would you strengthen us through the Holy Spirit that you have sent, that we might remain strong and faithful and loyal to you, giving to you our final and ultimate loyalty, not to anyone else or anything else, but to you alone, because you alone are our King. And may your name be glorified, and may all glory, honor, dominion, and power be to you now and forevermore. Amen.